Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a podcast from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church with five locations in Utah. Each week we'll be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Ben Roby. I'm filling in for Adam today, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. And just so you guys know, your support of SMCC makes this all possible. So if that's something you regularly do, we just want to say thank you. You guys want to say thank you? Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate all of that and all of you guys. Um, Just so you know, there is a voicemail line that all of your uh, all of you guys are willing are are able to call in and leave a message. It goes straight to voicemail. Um, that number is 801-382-8151. Again, it's 801-382-8151. You can call in with any questions. Even if you just want to engage uh, these presenters in this podcast and maybe, you know, give us your thoughts, give us your questions, we'd love to interact with you. So please do that. We're going through the SMCC way through this podcast. And uh, today is, I guess, part two, technically, because number one was the intro. So, Paul, what are we talking about today? Well, we had an opportunity to, uh, right out of the gate, describe SMCC with a word or two. And we tried to figure out what is the most essential description or descriptive word for SMCC. And we landed on the word gospel. We're gospel-centered, we're gospel-driven, we're gospel-focused. And you might think to yourself, well, that's pretty obvious. Every church, every Christian church is gospel-driven, right? Is that true, Eric? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're also gospel motivated. Right. Not our motivation to devotion, it comes from the gospel. And so, um, no, interestingly enough, if you think the gospel is an umbrella term for all things Jesus-y, then you think every church that somehow has Jesus in their name or in their message must be a gospel church. But that's not what the gospel is. It's not just we talk about Jesus, so we must be gospel-centered. The gospel is very specific to what Jesus accomplished, and that, I think, sets apart gospel churches from churches that are something else. You know what I mean? Something else. So let's talk about the something else. Well, we use a book called um, What is the Gospel by Gary T- um, Gilbert. Gary Gilbert. Greg Gilbert. Greg Gilbert, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think Gary Gilbert was the mass murderer shot people from the tower at Texas University. Let's anyway, not confuse those guys. Yeah, <laughs> let's not get those two confused. But um, in that book, he just starts out with different statements, and every single person is claiming that they're describing the gospel. Mm-hmm. But it's all over the map. Uh, There's some people that would simply say that if you – would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, Would you like to place your faith in him? Don't want to go to hell. And if you don't want to go to hell, that is basically preaching the gospel. Just that – and and that's at many – churches the the end of the service the end of the message it's kind of tagged on to any message and we're saying that's not the gospel yeah there's other ones like this uh god loves you and has a great plan for your life that's it Uh, that statement is not untrue but i don't know in what sense that is true from the person saying it because it's such a short statement so they would say the gospel is god loves you and has a great plan for your life that is not the gospel I was listening to 
a pretty well-known guy, and I don't like to mention names off very often uh, when we're kind of critiquing somebody. So mm-hmm. I'll just let this guy remain nameless. But he does crusades. He does big events, big evangelistic events in the United States. And he was uh, holding one of these outreaches in Dallas, Texas, big auditorium. And so he is now presenting in his mind the gospel to all these thousands and thousands of people, not just in the room, but also broadcast to, to homes of anybody that tuned in. And he said this statement. He said, is your life working for you? If not, try Jesus. <laughs> Once again, not the gospel. Yeah, and so basically we're confusing in that situation the effects of the fall, and that is the, the fear and insecurity that resulted when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God. Mm-hmm. They hid from him. Uh, they blamed each other. They they were just filled with with fear and insecurity. And in our life, when we're filled with uh, fear and insecurity, it, it manifests itself in all sorts of ways that is really destructive, not just psychologically, but spiritually as well, and emotionally and relationally. And there's just all kinds of fallout mm-hmm. from the fall. Mm. And so the gospel is not the cure for the... Um, secondary issues the symptoms the symptoms right. of the fall the gospel presents bad news and good news mm-hmm. and the good news actually overcomes the bad news mm-hmm. but if we're not familiar with the bad news then we're not embracing the gospel with joy correct yeah the good news yeah and so back to that one preacher saying life not working try try jesus and of course we often talk in our messages about the ways in which life is not working, but we want to identify the symptoms to move people to the root to the root cause. Now, when it comes to life not working, typically the gospel is then presented as Jesus can heal your hurts or something like that. That must be the gospel. And there's a phrase for that type of preaching. There's a phrase for that type of thinking or that type of belief system. And I love this phrase. I think this is a phrase that every listener should put in their back pocket, in their vocabulary. Um, And that phrase is moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, that's part one. Therapeutic, part two. Deism is part three. Paul, before we get to good news, bad news, and what, what we think the Bible teaches the gospel really is with precision and accuracy, let's break down moralistic, therapeutic deism. The whole idea of moralism is the idea that and, and this is what most people think that the church is all about and what the gospel is. The go- they believe that the message of Christ is be a good person. Mm. And basically, if you are a good person, God will reward you for that. Mm. Yep. More, that's, that's the moralism part. That's the moralism part. Which we call religion, in fact, that if I do this, God does that. That's transactional. Uh, we often talk about a relationship based on transaction is not a healthy relationship. If it's, I do, I did this for my wife, so she better do this for me. And now I did this for her. So vice versa. That's a transaction. And a lot of people approach God with a a transactional mindset. So, but that's religion. So moralistic. Well, moralistic, and it it implies that somehow you obligated God, you earned something from him Mm -hmm. because of your behavior, Mm -hmm. your good behavior. Mm-hmm. Get, and somehow in that whole equation, there's no discussion about your bad behavior and what <laughs> that would now uh, obligate God to somehow 
punish you for that or, Interesting, or yeah. you know there's no discussion of your bad behavior all right in mtd yeah mtd therapy. mtd yeah. now school's mtv well okay. the th- therapeutic part is that god's job is basically to make us feel good about ourselves and to give us a good life mm-hmm. yep self-esteem it's it's sort of his uh, moralistic therapeutic deism has been on the rise as as sort of postmodernism has been on the rise they kind of go hand in hand i want to feel good i need some self-esteem um i just need to think better about myself and uh, and god can help you know isn't that so fantastic and i think that's what i was getting at the this evangelist was basically appealing to everybody's desire to have a good life and to feel good about themselves. And so the problem is when you preach the gospel the way that Jesus did, people don't don't typically feel really good about themselves when the first part the bad news is is presented. They only feel maybe good about themselves as a result of Having now responded to the bad news by receiving the good news, now you can feel good that you have a healed and redeemed and resolved relationship. What what was once broken is now being put back together, and there's a resolution of Mm -hmm. that problem. And, And that relationship is healed. Now you can start to feel good about yourself instead instead of the fall producing all these symptoms of fear and insecurity the gospel results the symptoms of the gospel is hey my fear is gone i'm not i'm secure in christ i'm secure in his love i've been adopted into his family i actually do feel emotionally better and my relationships are better because now i'm free to love people instead of trying to control other people try to get something from i'm now free to give something to them yeah i'm so glad you guys are bringing up moralistic therapeutic deism because i think that is what is attacked by these new atheists and stuff they attack what the solve for the human condition is like they think oh i'm attacking christianity and they just replace that with moralistic therapeutic deism because they think Oh yeah, humans just need something to get through the day. They need something to get through life. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the gospel. There's an alternative to moralistic therapeutic deism. That's not what we teach in our churches. So I just that kind of clicked for me. Like mm-hmm. I think these new atheists, that's not even new, but the atheist movement in general is attacking this concept. Oh, you're just adding something to your life to fix the hardship stuff. Or in fact, we're talking about something totally different. Yeah. And one of those famous atheists, I don't know if he's new, he might be an old atheist. It says it's a crutch, right? Exactly. That it's, it's a crutch. And that's a crutch falls under the category of moralistic therapeutic. You need a therapeutic crutch in your life. So you turn to God. That is not why I'm a Christian. Um, <clears throat> Greg Kukul has a book that we're going to build a series around. And he put, he says Christianity is this. If someone were to ask you, what is Christianity? He would say, it is the story of reality, the story of reality. And to me, that that was shocking when I heard that. It's not, it's not therapeutic. It's not moralistic. What is Christianity? Well, at the heart of Christianity, it's what is real. It is what is real. And I want to know who I really am am not who I feel I am or not what just has happened to me or my surroundings I want to know what is real about me and what's real about me actually has begins with God created and then here comes some bad news God commanded and then I sinned and so the bad news actually falls into to reality so 
We've talked about moralistic, therapeutic, um, deism. When we talk... Well, we didn't hit the deism part. Oh, yeah, hit the deism part. Well, the deism part is the idea that God is like a grandfather that's kind of old and kind of losing his mind a little bit. And as long as the grandkids come around once in a while... Sunday mornings at church, you know. He's happy. Yeah. It's like, oh, good. Good to see you. You know what? I know you guys are disobedient and awful to your parents and stuff like that. But, you know, grandma and myself, we love you. You're Mm -hmm. good. Here's some candy. (laughs) And, uh, you know... Candy's the blessing. We just want you to have a happy life. There you go. So that's moralistic therapeutic deism. Um, and in some way, we hear that in a lot of churches. In fact, a lot of a lot of famous communicators right now, in fact, communicators that are going viral through COVID being listened to by lots of lots of people are very, very popular because they are very therapeutic. And so God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. That's, that is, that's not untrue. But once again, I'm not sure what's incomplete. That, it's incomplete. Right. Yeah, the gospel isn't in that statement. Um, God loves you, has a great plan for your life. Do you want to avoid hell? Then pray this prayer. And and all of that is out there in, in the realm of moralistic therapeutic deism. And once you have that category in your back pocket, it's really helpful to begin to listen to sermons and say, wow, this is either moralistic, this is either therapeutic, or this is a view of God that's not biblical. I was just going to chime in. I mean, I think a question might be, What's so bad about starting with an incomplete view of the gospel? Like I could see that that kind of be raised from somebody listening to some of these preachers. I'm going to give you a super long answer. <laughs> well, okay. okay. Not, come on. Well, it can't be longer than the podcast. <laughs> Part three. Okay. And so Coming soon. I will. Okay. So hold on to that question because it's really important. So we would we would typically say that this the gospel is, and you you hit the first parts of it. God created, therefore He had the right to command us. The command was to Adam and Eve, "Don't eat from that tree." They rebelled against His authority to command Him. They pushed against Him and basically said, "You can't tell me what to do. I am going to do what I want to do. It's my life. Mm-hmm. You're not my authority." That rebellion ended up in the fall in in a sense where they broke relationship. They broke trust with God. Trust was broken. And in any relationship where trust is broken, that now requires reconciliation for that relationship to be repaired. So they were unreconciled. They were Mm -hmm. broken. And now Jesus Christ, God is so good. He gave us his son that whoever believes in him, and that word means trust, that now we're going to reverse that curse. We're mm-hmm. going to uh, now repair the damage, so to speak, by receiving. We don't really do anything, but we receive from him something that's already been done, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ and all his death on the cross, all that he did for us, his righteousness, everything that he is uh, in terms of righteousness is imputed to us as a gift, and then we receive it. So the gospel is God created, therefore he commanded, he commanded, man rebelled, God rescued, we respond. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Another way we like to say it is, to quote uh, loosely Tim Keller, and he says it different ways all the time, but there's basically two parts. And both are very, very important, and that is 
we're far more sinful, far more rebellious, far more depraved than we ever might imagine. And that's really true. When you talk to a, a group of people and say, what do you guys think? Are you guys all sinners here? <laughs> Only in California will they <laughs> agree to that one. Mistake. So, they think they're mistakers. Yeah, they're mistakers. We've, we've they're got not that language. sinners. Yeah. The second part of the gospel is at the same time. So we're fallen, we're rebellious, we're depraved, but at the same time, we're also loved, accepted, and forgiven in Jesus Christ more than we ever could have hoped. Now, here's the deal, Ben. Here's the answer to your question. If you don't believe part one, then you diminish part two. It's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. If you're a pretty good person that just needs a tweak, just needs a pick-me-up, just mm -hmm. needs a little bit of encouragement. A do-over or a mulligan? Yeah, a do-over, a kind of like a fresh start. Mm -hmm. Then Christ's death on the cross is not embraced as something magnificent and, and valuable. And this is why churches are shooting themselves in the foot when they don't give part one and part two. If they only give part two, people kind of wink at it and go, oh, good for him. Hey, nice job. <laughs> what an example hey, of you. love. What an example of love. They don't see, and, and the example almost doesn't make sense. Like, why do you have to die? Sure. Oh my goodness, that's too much. Horrible. So consequently, my experience is, and this is why SMC is kind of put together the way it is, is to make up, like, if, if that's true, then what's going to motivate people to obey? Because they're not grateful. Mm. They're, 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 they're kind of happy that mm -hmm. God decided to die for them, and they're happy to receive that gift. But it's not enough to motivate righteous behavior. Mm -hmm. So in order to motivate righteous behavior, they have to go outside the gospel and embrace religion and tell people that if they will do the right thing, God will reward them, bless them in this life. Mm. He'll prosper them. He'll he'll make sure that they don't get sick. He, that they'll get that their kids will be will will turn out well. That all kinds of quote unquote blessings are theirs if they obey because they didn't emphasize part one of the gospel. So that's religious motivation versus, and we'll get to this in a bit, but gospel motivation. So you're talking about religious motivation. If you do this, God will do this for you. And that motivates obedience rather than gratefulness or appreciation for Absolutely. the cross. And when you get your motivation wrong in Christianity, you pretty <laughs> much have everything yeah. wrong. And it's, I'll, oh man, that is a powerful statement. It's almost doomed to fail because when your circumstances fail or your kids fail or your job fails or you fail, guess what? Then God failed you. So either you're mad at God because he wasn't enough or you're mad at yourself because you weren't enough. And at the end of the day, moralistic therapeutic deism hurts you, harms you. That's why I'm not cool with those preachers, Ben. Okay, I appreciate that. What would you say, Eric, to, uh, let's say you're going to coffee with a, another pastor in town and he's he's fighting for this view. Like, okay. hey, I, I, I'm going to start with an incomplete version mm -hmm. of the gospel because eventually I will explain the whole thing. But I just need to start with something soft because mm -hmm. it's too like the cross, like you described, mm -hmm. like it's too bloody, it's too gory. I can't go there day one. I can't talk about how depraved these people are. I mm -hmm. can't talk about how sinful we are, how bad we are intentionally, our choices, sure. right? What do you say to that guy at coffee? Well, there's a couple things I would say. First of all, at SMCC, we just finished a boring series, which is addressing a felt need, isn't it? it that you know, we at times we could be labeled 
those people yeah. or communicators because we often start with felt needs, but we go beyond them. But I think starting with felt needs gives you the ability to earn trust with a listener and say, I, I know what it's like. I know what you're going through, but let me show you why this solution isn't the actual solution. Let me show you why moralistic therapeutic deism or religion is not the answer. Let me show you where that all breaks down. And I would hope... Um, that at SMCC, we, we, we do that very clearly. So if I'm having lunch with a pastor who is in the camp of moralistic therapeutic deism, I want to help them see why the answer they're giving their people is not real hope. That at some point, mm-hmm. that answer will fail their people too. And I think the pastors that are preaching this, for the most part, they have good intentions. They just want, they want to connect with people. They want to meet people where they're at. I want to do all that as well. I'm just not sure they've thought about the gospel enough or they've thought about the medicine or the hope they're providing enough to know that's not the real cure. I think the temptation is what we talk about all the time, as many people as possible. The Mm -hmm. temptation is this is a wider net. We're going to cast a wider net by just softening Mm. everything. But you're saying it's... It's actually not hopeful. It, it ca- right. It's counterproductive. And it goes back to what uh, Eric was saying. Either I'm not enough or God is not enough. Mm-hmm. Either I failed or he failed. When you have a works righteousness, non-gospel, religious approach to God and, and life in him, you'll always be discouraged. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll always feel like mm-hmm. um, life's not fair in some way and God's not good. And that will destroy your motivation if God is not good. See, I think there is a way to communicate the bad news of the gospel in such a way that really does draw people in. Exactly. I just think it takes a lot of thought, a lot of uh, a lot of careful consideration, a lot of wisdom, a lot of conversations with people. But at the end of the day, um, when we are communicating the gospel to someone who's felt their whole life that they weren't enough or felt their whole life they were just on edge with God, and then they hear what we're talking about about the gospel— then the tears flood down their face. They don't want the simple cure. They don't want they don't want ibuprofen if their ailment is much bigger than that. Yeah. And so I think um, we can connect the dots for people and connect the dots for other pastors who might fall into the category of moralistic therapeutic deism and help them dive into being gospel-centered people and preachers. Yeah, love that. Quick shout out, our friend Talian Tavid. Tavidian, I can't rhymes say his name. Religion. <laughs> I can't say <laughs> he his said name. that rhymes with religion. Uh, he talks about how every single message he's going to preach is going to have the good news and the bad news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's so helpful. The good news and the bad news, mm-hmm. and it's the Tim Keller quote you just mm-hmm. quoted. It's great. Okay, and so um, I just kind of lost my thought here. <laughs> Talking about the okay, SMCC so, so way. the gospel is 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 spelled D-O-N-E. It's all about what Christ has done. Right. And religion is spelled D-O. It's what we have to do. And I think that when you listen to sermons with that kind of grid, also add add this to your grid. Is this guy implying that there's something I can earn? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a, a bad indication that we're drifting away from gospel. And then remember that the Apostle Paul said that the gospel is, you know, the hope, mm-hmm. you know, that we have. It's the gospel 
uh, he, he's, he's in, in Romans 1, verse 17, talking about the gospel's the power of salvation to mm-hmm. all who believe. He also said that uh, people need to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and going back to how we present and you know speaking to felt needs and then bringing people around to bad news, good news, is really important because the way the Apostle Paul talks in Romans is, if the gospel is presented and is presented with with care, and also respect for the unbeliever, and it, with real not just care but real sensitivity to where people are really at, and we explain our terms and make sure that the vocabulary isn't too difficult. Now, the Holy Spirit can take the Word of God and impart the word of God into and implant the word of God into people's hearts and do work to draw them to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's not all on us to get it perfect. Right. But at least we need to treat non-believers with respect. We need to tell the truth carefully. We need to present the gospel in all its fullness. And that is bad news, good news, mm-hmm. and then we need to trust the Holy Spirit to do, do the work. You know, you're saying a couple interesting things as you talk about the non-believer. Uh, religion says often, hey, you need to be enough for God, but irreligion <clears throat> is very similar. It says you need to be enough for yourself. You need to make your life count, and so irreligion says be enough as well, and so when we're standing on the stage talking about the felt need of enough, it actually draws in the religious person who has never felt like they've been enough and the irreligious person who has never felt like their life has been enough, or if they are enough in irreligion, uh, it's only a matter of time until they're not, until something happens, and so the idea of enough, the idea of do and done actually speaks to people who are church people and people who are not church people as well. Now, um, when we talk about the culture that, that we live in, and not necessarily Utah, but definitely uh, North America, Europe, post-Christian places, post-Christian cultures. When it comes to you don't want to go to hell, pray this prayer, and you'll go to heaven, that that's just not enough. People need more time to process God created, commanded, rebelled, rescue, respond. People need more information before they can make a decision. And so when you ask somebody to make a decision at the end of a three-sentence moment in your sermon, there's just not enough information to know. And so we think getting that information across can happen over multiple weeks as well. Oh, years sometimes. Totally, totally. And when I first said yes to Jesus... I did not know the gospel like I communicate it and know it now. I I thought Jesus is cool. I want to follow him. And that's where I started. Um, And you know what? Awareness is actually a first step when it comes to understanding Christianity. I'm aware of it. I see it. I'm interested. I see it lived out in others. I'm going to test drive it. You know what? I take it. And that can be a year's process. And so people listening might be somewhere in that process. And they're thinking, oh, no, do I not know the gospel? Don't need to panic. Just take your next step um, wherever wherever you are. One of the ways that I like to communicate that to uh, our listeners, and especially in teaching what is Christianity, the class that we offer often, is that I'd like to say I'm actually more committed to the truth than I am to Jesus Christ. That's it, shocking. Say, when I first heard you say that, yeah. I thought, you're and, a heretic. And, and that shocks the people <laughs> in the room. And then I say this. I would never expect you to place your trust in someone or something that doesn't make sense to you. Mm-hmm. I would never recommend somebody going against their better judgment. So when I when we make that statement, 
we understand that it's on us to present the gospel and Christianity in such a way that it makes sense that it's that that it would not violate somebody's better judgment. Mm-hmm. And 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 that puts the burden on us, not on them. Mm, so and good. so that's our stance. That's how we assume that it's on us to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the gospel, um, there are two words that I think are absolutely crucial that I want to unpack at this point. Paul, you used a word probably 10 or 15 minutes ago that that's part of this imputation. I want to talk about that because that's one of those theological words that is shocking. But that word actually goes with another word, and that is the word substitution. So let's start with substitution because um, I'm convinced that is at the core of what this precise term, the gospel, is. Um, Substitution for a lot of people sounds like just a churchy word. In fact, I thought it was a churchy word for a very long time, just a theological word. And then I realized substitution is a part of my everyday life. I often put myself in the place of my kids because my kids need to see something different, right? We substitute ourselves in the place of a person when we love. We substitute ourselves in the place of something else when we forgive. Substitution happens all the time in relationships, but it is crucial um, to the gospel. So, Paul, what what is substitution in terms of the gospel? Well, God gave a, a picture of the innocent dying for the guilty mm-hmm. all throughout the Old Testament through the Old Testament sacrifices, animal sacrifices. And in the Day of Atonement, there's a real powerful picture of the priest putting his hands on the head of the, the animal, usually a goat or a lamb. And praying and and actually confessing the sins of Israel and saying, you know, we repent of all these sins as a nation. Well, that that was a picture. But now individuals could could come and bring an animal and they would bring this animal as an atoning sacrifice for their sins. It's it's a substitute uh, and that animal is, they understood that that animal got what they deserved. Mm. And now uh, that was to be, um, what's important about this, I think that a lot of people don't understand, is that God said that that has no effect, that, that there's no benefit to going through the motions. You actually, when you offer that sacrifice, you have to receive the 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 reality the truth that your sins are covered that they that the blood was sufficient shed by that animal was sufficient for your forgiveness of sins as you look forward to the ultimate sacrifice in the messiah okay mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of people just started to think well if i just do the right thing offer an animal as a sacrifice, then then I'm all good to go. No, they. What was required was belief, mm-hmm. faith in God, mm-hmm. and and so that substitute was these, that picture of substitution was ingrained in the people's minds, so that when Christ came. They could embrace him as their substitute, the final sacrifice. Man, that's fantastic. Uh, John Stott, uh, a very <clears throat> clear and helpful theologian. I don't know, a British theologian, I think, yeah. said uh, the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, which we see in the garden. God doesn't know best. I know best. So now I've already, sub- Adam substituted himself for God, and we do that all the time. The essence of salvation is God substituted himself for us. And so substitution we see in sin, substitution. I trust me more than I trust God. And then and we see substitution 
in what Jesus has done. So you hinted at something we say all the time. Jesus took what we deserve so we can have what he deserved. He substituted himself for us. He in our place, us now in a right relationship with God in his place. So built into that is the idea of imputation, our sin to him, imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to us. You want to unpack some of that? Yeah. So John three sixteen. you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, so all love is substitution. It's, it, it's, it's I'm substituting myself for you. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, if I'm doing the dishes, I actually put the dishes away for my wife. Good today, for you, So Paul. that she wouldn't have to. Substitutionary right Substitutionary there. right yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> whenever you love your children well, you're bending your schedule. You're making sacrifices. You're working. You're paying for their braces. You're, 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 you know. Oh, don't tell me that. Doing whatever. <laughs> My heart uh, jumped a little bit. So that they don't have to. And the essence of forgiveness is I'll pay so that you don't have to pay. Mm. And that's why love and forgiveness are a package. That's right. And, and that's what was offered by God to us through the gift of his son. Mm-hmm. It is I'll pay so that you don't have to. I'll take your place. I'll sacrifice so that you don't have to sacrifice. Man, you know, justice is here as well. Justice is in all this. Justice is, the penalty fits the crime. That's what justice is. The penalty fits the crime. And so the penalty of death uh, fits the crime for our sin because we turned our back on the God of life and that results in death. And so when you walk away from the source of life, the penalty that fits that crime is death. And so we see that all throughout the Old Testament. This is why blood, which is a picture of death has become the thing that atones or takes away um, for sin. So uh, this is why substitution is so crucial. And I think whether you're religious, irreligious, agnostic, on the fence, you understand love is about substitution. You understand that something in you is being imputed to somebody else. You're passing your love to them. So imputation, substitution, they sound very theological. And of course they are, but they play into the story of reality. They are, they are the story of reality. So this is the gospel. And if you're listening to someone who says, the gospel is God loves you and has a great plan for your life. And you think, I don't hear anything that somehow is substitutionary. And I don't hear anything that's somehow about imputation. I'm not sure that's the complete picture. So I was just going to, real quick, for the people like me out there who don't study like you guys do. Um, I do study, but not like <laughs> you guys do. Uh, imputation, I like I liked what you said there. It's the passing over of. Uh-huh. Like... Um, can we just explain that one more time for it's the, like the make, simple minds? It's like making a deposit into somebody's bank account. Okay. Like I'm still waiting for my check from the government that is imputed into my account. <laughs> the the COVID mine rescue already, mine came. money. Imputation received. <laughs> you. Yeah, yes, it's, it's exactly. what I have goes to you, what you have goes to me. So uh, when it comes to Christianity, what I have is sin. Uh, that mm. goes to Christ. What he has is righteousness. That goes to me when I trust. And that is the transaction of Christianity, by yes. the way. It's all the we transac- have to Yeah, the transaction, there is something that, there is an exchange that happens. Uh, but the transaction, it's not my good work that's being exchanged for righteousness. It's my sin being exchanged for his righteousness. It's eternally lopsided. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that then motivates, right? Think about, so when we say gospel motivation or gospel, centered it is always about look what he's done he's taken what i deserve i get what he deserves what could motivate motivate me more than that that is where delight sets in so the claim if you explain the gospel this way you're just setting people free to live crazy lives and just sin boldly do whatever the heck they want yeah if i don't have to do anything yeah yeah 
this is easy stuff now this 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 just swipes that away like of course. Hey, no you if you're given yeah. a gift that you absolutely don't deserve there's nothing you're going to respond with other than gratitude and i i like to think life. about Correct. the um situation where the grenade goes into the foxhole and uh one of the men in the foxhole jumps on the grenade takes the impact of that grenade so that the other men can live there's not one man left in that foxhole that wouldn't do anything for his family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and here's the here's the problem with that we never can pay god back for what he's done so we're not living our life to pay him back we're living our life in a in an expression of gratitude and love for him so there's no payback here but it is it is a sense of you know what i want to honor him with my life because he's so wonderful so great so gracious so kind that he would take that for me that's why it's called good news is i didn't have to be mm-hmm. you know hit with the grenade mm-hmm. so the straw man that is set up and attacked by these people who claim this is well you're just you know you're getting something you don't deserve so you're just going to go crazy that is a straw man argument that's not what we're right. claiming what let's dive into the misunderstanding just a little bit like what let's get into that mindset what is that misunderstanding that people are well i'd like to ask the question at? do you know anybody who truly understands and embrace the gospel who lives like that it's hard to come up with somebody who does. Now, there's plenty of Christians who don't Im- understand and they don't embrace bad news and good news mm-hmm. Yeah, and live like that. Hmm. Plenty of people who only embrace the good news without understanding the bad news who live like that. Yes, God loves you, has a great plan for your life. I've, I mean, and I, again, no names, of course, but I've seen that absolutely. God loves you, has a great plan for your life. And now, you know what? Binger on the weekend, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can just live my life however I want. My parents love me. God loves me. My kids love me. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not the gospel. Right. Yeah. Man, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. So when it comes to devotion and delight now, let's wrap up with this, this concept, FDFD at SMCC. We think the gospel fuels both of those things. So my devotion, my obedience, I want to do what he wants me to do. I'm happy to obey. And then that fuels my delight. Paul, let's talk about how the gospel motivates those two things. Yeah, the fact that it's finished makes it possible to have delight he paid it all Mm -hmm. it is finished um paid in full and so now i can live my life with the freedom knowing that there's nothing left for me to somehow pay or earn or deserve i just simply live my life as a person who's just received the best the best gift ever Mm. and so that brings delight gratitude brings delight you you know you see you see a happy person, you're probably looking at a person that is grateful. Yeah, totally. So, Ben, this goes back to the question you're asking. So, if I understand God's goodness and kindness in terms of Christ on the cross and I've received uh, salvation, I've trusted him, then I can go back to that second part of the gospel and really the first part, God created so he knows me better than I know me and therefore his commands for me are in my best interest. Good, yeah. Yeah, and so now 
all my devotion and obedience to him, all those things are no longer have tos because I've, I've measured his goodness in the cross. Now those, ha- those have tos are my want tos. So now I don't even want to do a binger on the weekend or, hey, this is all free because of his goodness. He knows me better than I know me and he has my best interest in mind in his commands. Mm-hmm. And so now my devotion, my obedience to him is actually a want to. And more than that, it's a get to. And so this becomes gospel motivation. All of my devotion to him is actually in my best interest because his commands are good and therefore I delight in my devotion because his life for me is better than any life I could choose for myself and when this all crystallized for me in my head I mean we're talking years and years process thinking about all this it was like this is reality this is the story of reality. Yeah. There is no greater joy. There's no greater life than being a Christian to receive what Jesus has done, to trust the gospel. So back to, okay, this is too easy. Someone's just going to sin. No, no. The gospel actually motivates your devotion because we measure his goodness in the cross and therefore his commands are good too. So I want to obey them. I get to obey them. And when I do, I discover that's how I was created. Part one of the gospel to live. So good. Unfortunately, a lot of people have been mixed up over the years because of bad translation from the Greek into the Latin uh, of the of the New Testament, and they don't understand the concept of repentance. Mm-hmm. Somehow, penance entered the picture, and uh, again, that's just an unfortunate translation issue. And then it was, you know, magnified through the Roman Catholic Church over time. So, here's the deal. If you believe that you have to feel bad enough and that you have to somehow make up for your sin, and so that fuels your obedience, you'll never be delighted. You might be devoted, but you'll never be delighted. Wow. When you understand that you're good to go, you're reconciled with God, there's nothing you can do to get him to love you more, and there's nothing you can do to cause him to love you less. You can live a fully devoted, fully delighted life. So good. I think uh, something you've said for years, Dad, is that the gospel changes your desires. And Mm -hmm. I think this demystifies that, honestly. I think this makes it so much more graspable. Like, oh, yeah, of course it changes my desires. No longer would I want to do all those things. Those things are actually not going to satisfy me. And the gospel will, like what, what Jesus describes and how Jesus offers himself, that will change my desires because I want to respond to that. Of course. Absolutely. Paul, you talk about how we want it to make sense for people and then they trust. And Mm -hmm. I think what we're talking about is helping it all make sense. It all, it's kind of all makes sense now. So helpful. When you, when you think about substitution, imputation, the five parts of the gospel, creation and command. So I can go from taking my first step to trust Jesus and receive salvation to my 1000th step later on to obey him. And yet they are still connected. So the gospel is not the ABC. It's not the basics. It's not the thing that gets you in, gets you the ticket. And then you move on to religious life. It's the, I don't know who said it, probably Tim Keller. It's the A to Z. It's, it's, if there's, if I'm not honoring him, if I'm disobeying him, if I'm discouraged and frustrated with him, it's still a gospel problem. It's still a gospel problem. So, Paul, you just said something that's really helpful, and this kind of gets us back to how we do church at SMCC, which is a lot of churches and a lot of religion, they get devotion out of their people. In fact, maybe more devotion than uh, people that would attend SMCC. And by devotion, I mean time in the game, acts of service. The dues. Yeah, the dues and the duties. Um, Yeah. 
So talk about devotion without delight in religion, and then talk about why the gospel brings those two together, you know? Well, devotion without delight often involves earning, Mm. and we've already kind of talked about that, covered that. And the only way that you'll be in a relationship that is fueled by delight is when you know that you're good. That that there's trust there, there's there's um, no barrier to your your love and your relationship. There's authenticity, there's vulnerability, uh, and that only comes when you can trust that God loves you just the way you are. Man. That you don't have to do something and change in some sort of way in order to make yourself lovable. Wow. Pressure's off. You can get devotion out of people in a whole bunch of unhealthy ways. And we see it in church. In fact, if you grew up in church and you're listening to this, you're going to know exactly what I'm about to talk about. You can get devotion through fear. You can fear people in to devotion. You can make them so afraid that they, they feel like they must obey. You can shame people into devotion. You can manipulate people into devotion. You can, in an unhealthy way, guilt them in. You can promise them into pr- devotion. Oh, promise them, yes. Carrot and, and the reason stick why them I, to I, devotion. I said that what I did is because even in a marriage relationship, all those same things apply. Mm-hmm. Raising your children, all those same things apply. Shame them, cause them to fear, yeah. you know, d- manipulate them. Um, you know, all the yeah. coercion. You can get conformity yeah, that way. You can get conformity, but you can't get a loving relationship where people actually end up wanting to do. <laughs> Delight in you. Yeah. Delight in mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And so the gospel brings those two together. Uh, ben, you put out a record a few years back at SMCC, fully known, fully loved. And that expression uh, is so helpful to me. God fully knows me, and yet he still fully loves me. And so at SMCC, we want people to be fully known and fully loved. And that is... Super authentic. By the way, if you haven't listened to SMCC on iTunes or Spotify, go check. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah, go check us out. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, guys, man, I have learned a ton just sitting here for 45 minutes. I really appreciate it. Uh, guy, uh, again, if you're listening to this, I just want to throw this out, this number. Please, please, please interact with us. We want to get your questions. We want to be able to talk back and forth with you guys. It's 801 801- three eight two eight one five one and for people like my mom that are technolo- technologically challenged it's just going to go straight to voicemail no one's going to answer the phone um, and you can just leave your voicemail on there um, and talk to us that way so uh, with that i think we're going to wrap it up and we'll see you guys next week thanks so much All right. take care thanks again for joining us for the fully delighted podcast if you enjoyed what you heard today please subscribe give us a rating or share with a friend For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.